You're listening to the Bcast, the official podcast of bplans.com. Each week we discuss the latest news, resources, and advice for entrepreneurs and small business owners. I'm Jonathan Michael. And I'm Peter Thorson. In this week's episode, we talk about the questions the bank will ask you when you're applying for a business loan, the five things your website must do, and our thoughts on the Apple Watch. Welcome to the all-new Bcast, the podcast for small businesses, where we're going to be giving you some ideas, some insights, some tips, and some thoughts on how to make your business better. I'm Jonathan. I'm Peter. We're out here. We're helping small businesses. We get to uh, read articles on B-plans all day and uh, you know, pretty much comment on them. Yeah, that's right. So the first article that we wanted to talk about is one written by the founder of Palo Alto Software, Tim Barry, and the article is 10 Things the Bank Will Ask You when you need a business loan. So Peter, um, I gotta be honest, I have no experience ever asking for a business loan, never starting a business, so I'm a total newbie into all this kind of stuff. It's what great, about man. you? you it's got... a good start. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast is going really well. Thanks, yeah. So, so... No, I appreciate that, that's, that's good. And a lot of people don't. I think that's the, that's the starting point for most businesses is that things like the bank lending space, the what is the SBA and how are they here to help me are all kind of a mystery to them. And you know, for the most part, I think this kind of goes back to that idea of a small business isn't generally uh, a small business. They are a you know bread baker, a guitar maker, a lawyer, an accountant, a that bike kind shop of thing. owner, bike shop uh, owner. Sure, and that's what they consider themselves. So they don't uh, educate a lot uh, about this idea of you know how they get the best possible money, uh, what they need when they walk to the bank. And I think that was Tim's idea when he wrote this article. Is before you walk into any bank, they're going to ask for things. Here's 10 of them. This is going to happen to you if you go into that bank. So know what to expect. So what should I expect? Like if I wanted to go in and get a business loan, what do I need to prepare? What What am I doing? One of the things they'll ask you for is a business plan. Okay. The business plan has to contain a thoughtful, uh, you know, sort of overview of your entire business. It doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, 20 pages and certainly not 40 pages of raw text, raw financials, that kind of thing, but it does need to contain certain things. Um, it does need to contain the financial details of your business. And well, what does that mean? And we could go on and on forever about that, but you know, things like accounts receivable and accounts payable, uh, the complete financial statements of your business are going to be included in that plan and that's going to be what the bank looks for. The reason they look for that is because they need to compare you to all the other businesses that they've lent to in the past and make sure that you're not a high risk. And here's where I think a lot of people get tripped up, right? As a small business, you're going to think about those financials and maybe it's a little scary. Maybe you feel like you're not entirely confident with the numbers that you're putting in there. You know, maybe you keep your receipts in a shoebox and right. I've seen worse. Uh, maybe you just take the cash and at the end of the day you reconcile and that's how your business is run and that's fine. Uh, but the bank needs a little bit more idea of where you think you're going to go in the future and how you've been doing up until now. And if you don't expect this, the bank might ask for things like collateral. And I think Tim put that as number one mm -hmm. and I think he did not mean to scare people off by doing that. Or but maybe he did. <laughs> collateral is a major sticking point for a lot of small businesses. Now, we're talking about collateral in terms of, you know, certainly assets that the business might own. Uh -huh. Like a truck. Sure. But if you're earlier stage, think of that business collateral as maybe your actual house okay. that your wife and kids live in, and you're going to that home at the end of the day, and you don't consider it part of your business. 
So collateral can be uh, part of your personal life and not necessarily part of your business life. A lot of people don't necessarily consider that when they go in for this kind of lending and when it comes up, again, they get that kind of, you know, the slight fear, the slight workup thing. And I think that's why a lot of people consider these business loans or these SBA loans uh, a little bit daunting and maybe even a little confusing. Sure, sure. So what other kinds of things would a bank ask? Right. So, you know, Tim details also the uh, the insurance information. Again, that's just a risk mitigation tactic, knowing what kind of insurance that business has, the background uh, of that insurance, whether it's up to date is super important. Uh, copies of past returns is, is his number nine on the list. Now, the reason he's going to ask that is like, the, the past returns are the actual indicator of the past of your business. Your accounting software, you're entering those numbers. The past returns are what you've been reporting to the IRS and we're assuming are the truth behind those numbers. So some people don't understand why do I have to have you know past accounting plus past returns? And that's part of the reason. So, you know, again, it comes back to that point of, you know, if your numbers don't quite match, you know, a lot of us know where we're weak. And I think, you know, when I started my first business, I knew we were weak in accounting. We weren't just weak, we were terrible. Our accountant charged <laughs> us extra money because we were so bad. <laughs> in fact, and you know, the, you know, 23 year olds in New York City running a small business, we, we thought, you know, what's the worst that could happen? And the fact is the worst that could happen is you get to the end of the year and you have to spend weeks reconciling your books. <laughs> Fortunately, we never needed a bank loan. I don't think we would have ever gotten one for that reason. <laughs> But uh, it's, it's just a good thing to know. And it's a lot of, I think there's, again, a lot of kind of, you know, unnecessary fear that a small business will have before they go into a bank thinking, oh, okay, my books aren't, you know, exact or they're not perfect. And that's okay. They don't need to be pristine, mm -hmm. but they do need to be auditable. And the bank will be double checking this stuff. Sure. But why, why shouldn't you be daunted? Why shouldn't you be afraid of walking in and trying to get a bank loan or an SBA loan? Yeah, and that comes back to the positive aspects of these. So the SBA loan is going to provide you with probably some of the best interest rates that you can possibly get. Um, you know, not necessarily if it goes out to friends and family, that kind of thing. But, mm -hmm. you know, between the bank loan and the SBA loan, these are going to be highly secured uh, and, you know, again, really highly regulated, but also have really amongst the best rates that you can possibly get. So. With an SBA, for example, if, with an SBA uh, 504 loan, that's one of the only ways to get a 25-year term length. If you're you know, looking for a loan to get the space that your factory needs to exist in, then that could become a way for your business to be profitable over that 25-year period and not have to have a massive influx of cash on the onset of the business starting. So that's one great way. Another thing to think about is a lot of businesses run and run fine, and they mm -hmm. never really think about what it takes to get to that next level of profitability. If I'm cutting down trees all day and I've got one truck, uh -huh. a lot of businesses say, well, that's that's good, I'm, I'm doing well, right, I'm everything's fine, yeah. They don't say, well, you know, if I were to able to take out a loan, get two trucks and pay that off within five years, does that make my business, in fact, more stable and more sustainable? And also, is the interest rate low enough so that I can guarantee the fact that I can pay that off. Mm -hmm. So again, that comes back to why you need that business plan, why you need that financial forecast in place. But it also kind of comes back to that idea that 
the lower the interest rate, the more flexible you are in taking that money, making sure it's applied to good business practice, and then ensuring that your business can grow after you get that money. Okay, so what if I have just a good business idea? Uh, can I go get a bank loan off of an idea? Or, I mean, you've mentioned a lot of financial statements. Like, do you have to be an up-and-running business before you can apply for a loan? Yeah, so good question. Uh, yes, absolutely. And there's lots and lots and, uh, frankly, an increasing number of options for the folks who aren't qualified for an SBA loan or a okay. bank loan. Uh, if you want to go into the bank and ask for money, if you want to go into a bank, and again, here's the confusing thing. Mm -hmm. Some banks house SBA loans, some banks don't, and some banks house their own lending in addition to SBA loans. So that's why I'm trying to make sure you understand the distinction here. There are certainly lots of other options, and a lot of them are called alternative lending options. Okay. Alternative lending options include things like cabbage.com, ondeck.com, these kinds of things. Uh, there's a lot of ones out there that you can visit in person. Almost guaranteed each one of those will have a significantly higher interest rate. Okay. Uh, and I don't think we want to really talk about them too much here because it's really difficult to recommend them almost on any level. Hmm. If they are a good fit for you, if you're able to pay them off fast and you know that your business can be profitable after you receive that money, mm -hmm. it's, an, it's a great way of getting a quick injection. You know, there's uh, equipment loans, for example, okay. which is exactly what it sounds like. If I need a new refrigerator yeah. in my pizza shop, to serve cold pizza, I guess. <laughs> well, to keep the dough cold until it's ready to be used. Is that right? what they do? I think so. Cold dough, yeah, fine. Oh, the meat needs to be cold. So if I'm going to do some cold breadsticks or whatever it is you're suggesting, and I know that that's going to sell, then mm -hmm. I might want to get an equipment loan, get that refrigerator in, and then make the money back quickly. Okay. The trouble comes, and this is like where it starts to get almost like a payday loan. Over time, if I don't pay that money back, the interest rate is so high that it can start to gouge my business, and it's a bad choice for that uh, cold pizza place that we were just talking about. Okay, so it's, you definitely want on a college campus, too, there. The cold pizza? Yeah. I'm just saying you can, well, in fact, you actually have to keep some of your ingredients cold before you use them, so obviously. I've would, never thought of where pizza comes from. I used to work at a pizza place and would walk into the refrigerator mm -hmm. to get some of the ingredients, so hmm. it's definitely a needed piece of equipment in a pizza Weird place. to me. Yeah. <laughs> So Peter, what we're going to do each week is a new guest will come on and give us a quick tip about any one of the areas of expertise. So today we have John, who's uh, our e-commerce guy at Palo Alto, mm -hmm. and he's going to give us some tips. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jonathan. Pleasure to be here. So with my role at Palo Alto, I think about marketing most of the day. And as a small business owner, you're obviously thinking about marketing, probably online marketing. Um, great way to get your business uh, represented online and bring in new customers. So I really wanted to focus on your homepage. I mean, it's really the front-facing part of your website. Everyone has one if they have a website. And really, what should your homepage be doing? What should it be conveying? Um, so I've got five tips for you today. Um, hey, guys, what do you think makes a great homepage? Have you been to any cool homepages? What actually stands out to you? Hmm. Do flash animations still work? Oh, I love I don't flash think animations. There's a, that's is that what makes a good skip homepage? This. I like skipping intro. Yeah, skipping yeah. intro. <laughs> like you, your mouse will never move faster. Some than days like that. I'll just intro. go to a website just to get to the intro. There's a quote I actually remember and, and like to live by when it comes to homepages, and that is the goal of your homepage is to actually 
get people off of your homepage. Like have them close the window and just get up no, and leave? No, get them into your site. So um, Google is sort of the ultimate extreme of this, right? You come there, there's nothing but a search box. It's just a window into their site, and that's obviously the extreme. But conceptually what this means is that people shouldn't have to be hunting and pecking to figure out what they should do when they get to you. You know, and us as marketing people and people that use the web tend to overestimate um, home pages in terms of their importance because they're the front page of your site. Um, for one, most people don't come into your site on the home page. They actually come in from interior pages. So like if you're an e-commerce site, your category page or your product page is, is much more likely entrance into your site than them just typing in your domain name. Now why is that? Why would they be coming into your site on a different page? What, what's causing that to happen? It's really because they only care about the thing on that page. They don't care about you as a brand. Okay. And so the search engines have done a wonderful job of, of really serving that up. Um, so and also think about you know you, Jonathan you you manage our social media presence among other things and so you understand more than ever it's really about getting those specific posts out to people through those channels through right. email and that's very much the same thing. I mean. I can't even think of the last time I went to like a publisher's homepage just to sort of browse, you know, outside of some breaking news event. It's just not the way I use those types of sites. So sure. homepages, you know, they, they're kind of more of a branding thing, right? And, you know, any e-commerce site owner will tell you that anyone that comes to their site, they're much more likely to convert if they use the search box. Um, why? Because it's more user-centric. It's what the user thinks. It's almost arrogant to us to think as marketers, I'm going to put the perfect thing on my homepage. In fact, Jeff Bezos of Amazon had that famous quote when he was asked about what he wanted Amazon to be. He said, I want it to be, I want to show you the thing on my homepage that you always wanted, but you didn't know you wanted, hmm. which is probably the most ambitious, um, you know, <laughs> thing you could possibly serve. Um, but, you know, and, and, you know, one thing we definitely know we want to avoid is sliders. They've pretty much been widely disdained um, for a variety of reasons. It's, it's a lazy thing that home, homepage owners employ. What's a slider? So a slider is when you come to those pages and you know things just sort of cycle through on the content, basically say, oh, you might like this, wait two seconds. Oh, you might like this, wait two seconds. And it's really not user focused at all. They have no control over the slider in most cases. <laughs> and it's just a lazy way to put information on the page. Okay. Have you guys ever heard of um, the hippo effect? Is it a healthcare thing? No, it's uh, hippo, hippo is. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's this thing. It's it's got a funny acronym. It stands for the highest paid person's opinion. Mm -hmm. okay. and it's like a squeaky wheel thing. Yeah. So like, what happens here, and it usually happens in more like corporate environments, is you know all the various senior level executives will get in a room and they'll basically make the play for I want this represented right, on the right. site. So I've been in those meetings. Um, okay. You know, PR wants some event calendar. Mm -hmm. You know, Cody, the VP of Sales, wants this lead form on the front page. The marketing team wants this video. And so the web designers like, what do I do? And so how do you defeat the hippo? Well, you focus on the user because it's really all about the user. What does the user want? And so, you know, here at Palo Alto, we're a very data-driven company. We we like listening to you know our customers and and seeing what they do, and that's how we react and give them the best product um, that we can. So, the exercise around that when it comes to your home page is to actually list out all the conversions that you want. So, let's say you sell flooring. Okay. You want 
ultimate conversion would be, I want someone to fill out a lead form so I can come and measure their house to get an estimate. Or the secondary conversion would be, I want them to view this gallery of work that we've done. Um, the third might be just to call us. And so once you lift those, list those out, you can prioritize those and you have those as sort of a marker as to say, should this be on the homepage or should it not? Does it support that conversion goals? So that's the intro. Here's the five things that I think our readers should have on their webpage, or I should say the things that your homepage must convey. First and foremost, who the heck are you and why do I care? Uh, establish your identity and your value proposition. This is often covered by the homepage's headline and subheadline when you come to the page. So it's right there in front. Um, sometimes it's up in the header. How long have you been in business? It really is about, you know, in seconds, conveying that through uh, text and design. They want to know very succinctly how you're going to make their life better. They don't care about you. It's only about them. And how is your company the best solution for whatever the user is looking for, period. Um, you know, so that needs to be conveyed up front, number one. Okay, who the heck are you and why do I care? Exactly. Got it. Number two thing you must convey is that you care about mobile users. Mobile, obviously, uh, trending hugely up. I think two-thirds of emails are open on mobile. It's, you know, eclipsing desktop searches at this point or close to be. Um, you must have a mobile-friendly website. Um, Next week, actually, Google is rolling out a new algorithm that if your website's not mobile friendly and people are searching on mobile devices, they're actually going to deprecate your results. Um, four out of five websites actually are not responsive, not mobile <laughs> friendly, so they're going to be in a kind of a world of hurt. Yeah. Um, so you really need to get with your development team, and, and if you don't know what the word responsive is, um, ask them and make them make your website that. So, John, about that, I mean, I've got let's say I've got three websites for three small businesses I'm running and I'm, I'm out there and you know those things cost me you know five ten thousand dollars a build you know five or ten years ago right yeah so what am I gonna do call those guys up they've all moved to different places like I'm gonna pay them again to make this happen how, how does the how does the average guy like me you know make that work this this sounds intimidating right and that's that's really a fuel the advent of the WordPresses and the Shopify's and really kind of hitching your um, cart to these enterprise people that you know make those changes for you um, and sort of iterate over time and so if you invested five or ten years ago in a static site that was coded you frankly are just in need of a refresh and unfortunately that's just a, a sunk cost that you need to invest in you might find that mobile is not important for your business that is unlikely but you know eventually uh, especially the younger users are going to demand that okay so the homepage must convey that you are uh, caring about your customers and you need to be mobile exactly okay um, your homepage also must convey number three that your customers care about you um, here we're talking about customer proof uh, all the status stuff that you you're thinking about here testimonials social proof um, Think about reviews. Like 10 years ago, reviews on product pages were non-existent. Now, close to 85% of customers say that they read 10 or more reviews about a local business before engaging services. I'm personally a Yelp junkie. I probably, like, if you tell me about a restaurant, I'm going to mm -hmm. go right there. I'm going to look. Um, you know, we, if you're searching for a new camera or a new whatever, you're going to read those reviews. So right. really having those on your site. And it, even if you're not an e-commerce site, if you're a lawn service or whatever, you know, show me some real customers that have used you. 
and that's going to go a long way. Or maybe you have awards or recognition in your industry, that's also really important. So just really kind of making the case that you're existing, that you have current customers, and that they think you're great. Cool. Uh, number four, um, you must your homepage must convey what you want the user to do. So we've talked about sort of presentation and branding and positioning, but really it's just about getting them into the site. Uh, you need to provide clear paths to the other pages on your site that drive the desired result. And you can get this done via crisp copy and distinct calls to action. Here you really need to speak the customer's language. Um, they will sniff you out in a heartbeat if you know, you're speaking in jargon, if you're in corporate speak, that you're not kind of addressing their needs. Um, you don't want to be wishy-washy here. You want to tell them exactly what you want them to do that's going to support their goals. Again, it's all about them. Um, typically, you want this information above the fold because as they scroll down the page further, they kind of drop off. Um, and it's really about striking the right balance of copy and imagery to simply get the user down the funnel. When I talk about funnel, that just means getting them closer to what you want them to do and what ultimately they want. There's a great book that was written like 10 years ago, but still relevant. One of my favorite books in web usability called Don't Make Me Think. Hmm. And that's the way I think about people that uh, use websites. Don't okay. make them think. And lastly, your, your homepage must convey to how to get in touch. At the end of the day, we're all personal people. Um, if we're going to do serious business with anyone, a website form is not enough to kind of seal the deal. We've all had that experience when we're on, we're on a site and we literally cannot find the phone number and it's the most frustrating thing. Oh, I hate that. It's um, so annoying. So, you know, don't do this. Have your contact information up front. Um, you need to think about investing in, you know, someone actually answering a phone, answering questions, um, because that's really going to help differentiate you. Um, so there you have it. Those are the must-haves, and I think it applies to most industries. Awesome. Those are great tips, John. Thank you so much for coming on and giving us those tips for the five things that your website must do. So, John, what if I built my website in 1993, and uh, maybe it's due for an update? I mean, what's uh, should we maybe... Hold on a second. You built your website in 1993? That's pretty cool. Ahead of the game, man. Well, I mean, I just made my And then you just, you just left it. You just <laughs> yeah. built it and left it. Just served it off an iMac in my uh, bedroom. It <laughs> right. works out pretty well. Yeah, I don't know. So should I update that? Is that what you're saying? Like, what? where, where do I begin? It depends. I mean, you might be one of those rare breeds that you just don't need a website and you've got tremendous word of mouth or it's like a hipster thing where you're kind of like not caring about the web and that's your thing. But for most businesses, they really want to be where their customers aren't and do a better job with their site. <laughs> So guys, I have a question for you. Apple Watch just came out. What do you think of it? Maybe pull back a little bit. Wearable tech. Your thoughts on wearable tech. You know, I actually, wearable tech wasn't on my radar at all. And it actually was the Apple Watch that made me look at other wearable technology. Interesting. Okay. So, Peter, your thoughts? You got Yeah, I feel like... You know, I, I feel like the industrial design guys were, were so happy about this kind of thing mm -hmm. in, in 2002, 2004. And it's just come such a long way that uh, is wearable tech even relevant? I mean, what uh, my iPhone's in my pocket. It tells me everything I could possibly fathom knowing about the whole world. Yeah. What does it matter that it's in my pocket versus strapped to my wrist versus literally in front of my eyeball? I just, I don't see any innovation coming from you know smaller closer 
you know, nearer to my eyes. So you're not a Google Glass guy. You're not a Fitbit Ooh, guy. Yeah, I, think, I think we've all proven that humans <laughs> think, aren't. Yeah, right? no one is a Google Glass guy. Uh, but some out there, you know, can see the value in it. And like, a, okay, maybe not Google Glass, but Fitbit. They put that on their wrist and run around, walk around, and at the end of the day, they can see their reports on their physical activity. So there is some kind of a market for wearable tech. I'm not trying to deny that, but... No, absolutely. I mean, you look at the Fitbit and you think, well, here's a here's a way of thinking about my humanity in graph format. Like, mm-hmm. all day my heart's beating, all day I'm walking upstairs, all day I'm doing things, and now I can kind of get a view of that on my computer, which is, you know, at this point, like, we should be expecting that. That's not even too science fiction. It's, you know, that, that's some, you know, 2001 stuff right there, right? We're way behind the curve on that, just like we're behind the curve on uh, hover, hover skateboards and self-tying shoes. So I, I'm, not too, I'm, not, I'm not too upset at, like, the Fitbit coming out. I just don't understand, you know, and, and someone helped me on this. Like, what does is, what is the Apple Watch bring to the table that the iPhone doesn't. Right. Yeah, at this point, that's not evident, and I think that's where kind of the lack of enthusiasm is, but I wouldn't bet against that not coming, um, whether it's some sort of eye, you know, glance sort of technology that's going to make that feel like something new, but I totally agree. Like, today, out of the gate, you know, we were at lunch the other day, and we went around the table, and like, are you getting one? No. Are you getting one? No. And I think the other thing we need to talk about in this conversation is, is it the jewelry angle? Because really, yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, that's why people wear watches for the most part. Um, you know, it is a jewelry statement. And it's like, you know, remember the whole, you know, when we had the, the you know, just those bands that were not smart bands. Yeah. You know, now you can get electronics in those. And so anyone who's looking at jewelry, I mean, that's that's a huge driver. But, you know, I, I also think about like companies like Fossil and like mm-hmm. they must be like you know, really shitting because it's not a good, you know, anyone who was going to spend two or $300 is probably going to buy something that has more under the hood now. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I can't, what I can't figure out. So it's a new category for Apple. It's the smartwatch category. They're obviously other companies are doing this too. So it's, it's a proven concept in that people will buy it. But for Apple, it's like, are they coming after, Apple users, or are they trying to get watch wearers? You know, do those people intersect, and who's who's going to be buying it? Well, everyone's an Apple user at this point. You're no. either an Apple user and you're an Apple denier, right? But and in the world fun. market, it's actually not. I mean, it's actually the minority. And if it's only good for Apple or if iPhone five and six, um, you know, it's really kind of a small percentage um, of overall users that's worldwide because there are so many Android users worldwide. Hmm. Um, so for a four hundred dollar watch, it does seem like it's somewhat limiting. Um, but again, are you going to bet against Apple? I mean, smartphones completely killed the point and shoot camera, mm-hmm. and so we don't kind of know what it's going to do. Like no one was buying smartphones for the for the cameras, but they've iterated them so well. The average person doesn't carry a big camera anymore, a separate point and shoot. So what is this going to replace? Well, when iPhone 1 came out, the first one, first gen iPhone came out, I was like, yeah, right. My BlackBerry is so hot. <laughs> I can type so much faster on these keyboards. And frankly, like, what does that give me? What, I got more screen? I can touch it and move stuff around? Who cares? What do I need that for? It's right. it, my exact attitude mm-hmm. about the iWatch. So I'm going to put my finger on it, and my finger is covering 90% of the screen. So what is that? 
I don't want text appearing while I'm in a meeting right up in my face. I don't want to send people an image of my actual heartbeat, which apparently is a feature. Yep. None of that is appealing to me, but I think John's point is great. In three months, am I going to be like, uh, this is a lifestyle product, and if you don't have it, then you're not up to date. Yeah, I think it, when it comes to you know these tech advances, I've never been like a first-gen early adopter kind of a person just mm-hmm. because I, I and this is true for the watch like I don't see the value in it right now do I believe that you know third generation fourth generation might have some value sure there's it's advancing at a rapid pace there will be uses for it um, but I, I'm just not ready for it yet so to speculate what this could mean for a small business though I don't know if you guys are too young for this, but there was a thing when the iPhones first started coming out, it's called augmented reality. Mm-hmm. The whole idea was your phone would just tell you about things that are going on around you. Problem is, you got your phone out, you're looking at your phone, you're looking at the world around you, you bump into things, you look like an idiot. Right. Google Glass tried a similar thing, but the problem was you looked like an idiot to begin with. Yep. So could the watch, to John's point about Yelp, could the watch be a hot zone detector? Let's say you're just driving around Los Angeles and you're not from Los Angeles and your watch says, hey, you know, I think you like sushi. And by the way, the best rated sushi place is literally right on the corner and you're probably hungry because it's noon. Yeah, and that certainly presents some opportunities. I know there's some SMS developments for texting that businesses can start pinging you with texts if you're in the area. Hey, you know, there's an advertisement. Check out this restaurant. Here we are. Um, so I definitely think that there, that's a possibility. Well, and payment, payment through these devices, I right. think is is huge right now. I mean, that is going to, all the wearables are going to have that built mm-hmm. in. So that's going to push that whole thing to the foreground quicker than we would have imagined. So for a small business user, maybe there isn't an opportunity here for you to do anything with the Apple Watch per se, but having your business ready to accept those kinds of payments. Absolutely. Apple Pay is the, the main mechanism on the Apple Watch. So Yeah, get with the payment trends and maybe if you've been fighting your local Yelp scores, you know, fighting against that kind of review site type thing, maybe it's a good time to, you know, reconsider your strategy on that. Embrace it. Yeah. yeah maybe just dive back into there. You know, something else too for people who have more of an entrepreneurial spirit is take a look at the SDK for the Apple Watch look at developing some apps, learn about it. You know, there's some opportunities there that may not present themselves for the the iPhone. Um, it's totally worth it to take on some new technology and try to wrap your head around it. Yeah, make my fingers smaller so they don't cover up the whole screen. <laughs> yeah, you have enormous fingers. Uh, I'm too fat to dial the phone. <laughs> Watch-sized fingers. It's um, fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's our take on the Apple Watch. Um, Strong. Definitely. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, send us an email at bcast at bplans.com. That's bcast at bplans.com. Our theme music is by Jasinski. The Bcast is brought to you by Palo Alto Software, makers of bplans.com and LivePlan. Visit bplans.com for everything you need to start planning and growing your business.